0: amen thank you praise team let's give them a hand for their ministry to us this morning thank you guys well happy 2017 we made it through 2016 and now 2016 and now a new year is before us there's something about new that all of us like I think anybody out there a fan of new that, that, that's always good a new year uh, but there's something even more powerful than the new, and that is when we renew. When, when we renew those things that aren't just something different and new, completely unknown, may or may not be important. But when we renew those things that are most dear, most close to us, most valuable to us, there is no one else for me. None but you. None but Jesus. Uh, t- today we're, we're renewing that, that basic, core, deep covenant. And, and the service that you have before you was written in the 1770s. It comes from a different age and a different era. But its commitment is timeless. And it's challenging. And it's not for the faint of heart. You will hear the high commitment of those who walked in Wesley's societies those years ago. And it was their pattern on New Year's Day to do this service. To, to renew the core of who they are. This was, a, this was a, a, a very basic thing in the pattern of those societies. And those societies were a powerful instrument in this world. Many say that England avoided the French Revolution that had all the same uh, uh, difficulties in society. The the disparity of of income and uh, the oppression and much the same in England as it had been in France. And yet France went through a revolution. England, many historians will say, was saved from that revolution because of the lives of those in the Methodist societies in that day that so ministered to the people that it transformed their society. And that kind of impact in the world was fueled by this kind of commitment in the pew. I think it's something very powerful and something worth looking at this morning. Uh, You know, they say that the Sunday after after. Christmas is always the lowest attended Sunday of the year. And so for you faithful, I thought we'd get right to the heart of it. I think you deserve it. It's better to renew than just to claim the new. And so as we sink our teeth back into the marrow of who we are and who we're called to be, I just remind you of the name of our church, Abiding Harvest That name wasn't chosen because of anything that was in fad at the time. It was actually chosen by us then as something that we hoped would be timeless. We wanted to be an abiding harvest. So we tried to ground ourselves in the things that were most central to our faith. We wanted to abide in the vine. In John chapter 15, we find the theme verse for that word, abiding. John chapter 15, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, it's talking about you now. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit still. You are already clean or pruned because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and... Those branches dry up, and they gather them and cast them in the fire, and, and they are burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples, just as the Father has loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you. Why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Now, don't stop reading there. He's talked about his commandments. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Just a few things to point out there quickly. Abiding, though it's a discipline, can hardly be a burden. Christ is calling us not to abide in any kind of striving. He's calling us to abide in what? His love. The Christian life is meant to be marinated in the love of God. And because of that, we we take on His flavor. Nowhere in this entire passage... Is ever the command, be fruitful. Be fruitful. If you read that and started thinking, oh my gosh, I better be fruitful. I'm not being fruitful. Am I being fruitful? I'm not being fruitful. I better strive to be fruitful. You've missed the whole point. Never once does he command us to be fruitful. What he commands us to do is to abide. As if the fruitfulness takes care of itself. When does it say that we cannot bear fruit? When we live in such a way or minister in such a way as it's of ourselves. We don't bear fruit whenever we're apart from Jesus, the true vine. But what are the conditions by which we do bear fruit? Let me just pick out those phrases, abiding or are some of your scriptures may say remaining in Jesus. I like abiding better. That sounds. I heard it said abiding means that we make Jesus our home. It's where we abide. I love that. It's active. Remaining just sounds like you're stuck there. I I, I, I don't think. But but it's hard for us to remain in Jesus. Uh, it, it, it it's something that we have to. The one of the most. Spiritual words, I know, is remembrance. It's only natural for our lives through a year to take on other endeavors, to get focused on other things, to all kinds of distractions to come up in our life. That's absolutely natural. That's why the Father is a vine dresser that prunes his vine to get it back to its productive potential. You with me? We bear fruit when we abide in Jesus. We bear fruit when his words abide in us. We bear fruit if you abide in his love. We bear fruit if you, as it says in verse 10, keep his commandments. And, and what was that commandment that immediately follows? The commandment of Christ. He says it in chapter 13. That's where we usually read it. Most people don't even read far enough to know this is where it comes up again. But Jesus has just talked about keeping his commandments as a way of abiding in him. And then he says that you may love one another just as I have loved you. This is my command. This loving as he has loved us is a Christ-defined quality. It's not just Christ-defined. It, it, it's, it's articulated by his word and his teaching to us, but it's also a Christ-styled living. It's living in the context of community. He chose 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out. Little huddles of disciples. To, to miss that emphasis of community and abiding is, is, is a big oversight. It's almost like telling somebody... Uh, you're called to be a, a, a quarterback like, well, who's your favorite quarterback? Who's your favorite quarterback? Anybody got, anybody got a favorite quarterback? Tony Romo. Tony Romo. Okay, we're just going to start a fight right now. Uh, to, Tony Romo, okay? So it, it's like somebody telling you, you are destined to be a quarterback like Tony Romo. And then on the TV, you watch one of those quarterback competition things in the off season have you ever seen those where where they try to hit a target with a ball or or do their steps backwards and all these different kinds of skills of a quarterback and one of them wins the contest you know and he walks away with a little hundred thousand dollar prize or whatever it is that those pro quarterbacks do right and 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 then it's almost as if we as Christians today have have taken on that kind of I'm going to be like Christ as an individual But we miss that he surrounded himself with a team. We miss that before every advancement, he huddled. Right? To abide in Christ is to abide not only just in his spirit and in his love. I think it's to abide in his pattern of living. A life that abides in community. But all that's for what? Look at verse 11. So it'll be a burden. So it'll be tough. So your life will be more difficult and and more more striving than anyone else's. No, look at verses 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. (laughs) All this faithfulness and fruitfulness has along with us this, this, this joy of being with Christ and being about his business and just being, just being his. Evelyn Underhill has a great metaphor for that. I read it this week and it's so powerful. I, just, I, I, I don't want you to miss a phrase, okay? The, the abiding Christian should be like a sheepdog. Sheepdog. When the shepherd wants him to do something, he lies down at his feet, looks intently into the shepherd's eyes, and listens, transfixed without budging, until he has understood the mind of his master. And then he jumps to his feet and runs to do it. And the third characteristic, which is not less important, at no moment does the dog stop wagging his tail. <laughs> Abiding. Marinating in his love. So that when we jump to his commands, we are people shaped by his love. We have his kind of love to give away. Harvest. Harvest. God make us those kind of sheepdogs harvest Matthew nine thirty five through 38 that that that's where our church's name takes uh, that particular scripture as an inspiration we, we've shared it many times and I know you're familiar with it but I saw something new in it today uh, this weekend that I had never seen before. It's almost like a prelude. That's a, and of course in verse thirty five. And Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and uh, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness, and seeing the multitude. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Beseech the Lord of the harvest that he should send out workers into his harvest. Fruitfulness. Emerges from faithfulness. Jesus grounded himself in God again and again, went in the, to the mountains in order to reconnect himself to, to the very Spirit of God. He marinated in the love of the Father, and because of that, he had a heart for other people, and his ministry was, was fruitful. Do you see that? Do you see his abiding in the vine in verse 35? Teaching and preaching and, and healing and man, there's a lot of activity in that. Because of his faithfulness, he's he's being fruitful, but it doesn't stop there. See? In the midst of all that abiding, he sees something. He sees something that only a sheepdog sees. He sees what you see when you spend enough time with the heart of God to be burdened by what burdens Him. To see the multitudes. That they're downcast and they're without a shepherd. In the midst of all that productive ministry, his heart was such that it opened Christ's eyes to see the outsiders as well as those he was ministering to at his very fingertips. Yeah. That's what abiding does. It helps us see. It helps us see the next opportunity to be a person in the gap for God. To be a conduit through which a God who's loved us like that might continue to work. He saw something. He saw the multitudes and they were without a shepherd. And then, then... This sheepdog knew the mind of the master, right? Then, then, pray for workers to be sent out. It, it wasn't but a few weeks ago, I, I realized that we were transitioning to a new year. And, and, and I was asking God for a fresh word. I was at, we were actually at a charge, cluster charge conference. And uh, can I admit that my mind wanders at those kinds of meetings? Uh, I, it's just not one of my favorite times. You know, it, it, it tends to be a, a time where churches, if you don't keep the right spirit, you can start comparing your ministry to their ministry and what's going on here to what's going on there. And it's just, it just feels icky to me. And so I I, I just started talking to God, still staring ahead, but you know, like most of you do when I'm preaching and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and all, uh, and I asked God, I said, God, You know, our our church is 18 years old. 18 years old. What do you do when you're 18? And the thought dropped in my mind so fast, it startled me. And it excited me. I heard, you leave home. You leave home. You're not housebound anymore. You're prepared to make an impact in this world. And I couldn't get away from it. And I wonder if in 2017, this year that our church turns 18, if that's not a bit of what God is up to That as we continue to be faithful in our ministries to one another, and we continue to try to be the church that God calls us to be, that he's wanting to open our eyes still to the multitudes. I I continued to pray, and I I asked God, well, what would be, you know, we're at a charge conference. What, What would my heart and your heart really celebrate in 2017? And again, it came to me like that, and I thought, wow. As much as I loved charge conferences, 20 new believers would delight my heart. And I felt the Spirit said, me too. 20 new believers. And that may even be believing low if God really gets involved in it. But 20 new believers, that, that, that would make my heart sing. It'd be worth doing all those reports. 20 new believers in 2017. And that got me thinking, well, how how do we get out there? Well, what if God worked with us to help 20 come to faith? I don't know of any church that I would rather have 20 new believers become a part of than this one. You know why? Because we've been at this for 18 years. We have shepherds and, and home teams and we've talked about mentoring. We know how to come alongside someone else that's going in the faith. We, we can go to Panera with them. huh? We've been at it for 18 years. We've, we've got leaders now that are leading. We've got leaders that have led and, and, have, have, and are not presently. We've got leaders to spare. I look at the home team I go to and I, I see 8 or 10 leaders there. There's a church that can handle the harvest. Lord, send us into your harvest field. Get us out of the house. What might happen? If we organize for mission, maybe once once a month, maybe once a quarter, we just pick a week. And the same way we, we get prayed up and prepared and saved up uh, to go to Belize, and, 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 and to go to uh, Nepal, and to go to India, and to go to China, and all these places that God has sent us out to go, well, what if we did that same sort of thing in Broken Arrow? Well, What if we prayed it up and saved it up and designed it up so that we could be a force loose in our community? I don't know. I don't, I, you know, and, and then I started thinking, oh, but I don't want it to be one of those things that I did in college, you know, where go down to the, the streets and find a homeless person and force him to become a believer. You know, put another notch on the back of your Bible. I did that. I proved that I wasn't scared of that. And, and I went down there on those streets and I trembled as I tried to share the gospel. And, and I went home with that guy that took me down there and I, th- I thought in my heart, see, doesn't intimidate me. But that's not what this is about. Th- th- this is about being a person that's so soaked in Christ's love that our eyes are open not to the opportunities to do something upon someone else, but to speak the love of God to someone else right where they are, which requires many times much more listening to them than it does saying anything. It requires responding more than it requires convincing. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm not interested in us putting notches on the back of our Bibles for the sake of our own spiritual egos. God help us. But, but I've, heard, I've heard stories of, 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 of churches and groups that Got a group of people together and they prayed up beforehand and, and they went to the casino. That'd be scary. Went to the casino, but this was there. They went out in twos and they said, God, we're just going to walk through this place and we want you to direct us to a person whom you want to love. And once their eyes kind of locked on someone or they got that sense, they, they, they just stopped and talked. And the leader of the group, as he left, noticed that a, a security guard was being prayed for tears streaming down his face by two of those that he had taken into the casino that day wouldn't that be cool you don't have to go to the casino maybe maybe you just want to be a part of a group that goes to walmart with the extra 50 dollars that you've saved up and you go in twos and you look around just thinking god who's someone we want to bless let's get in line behind them let's pay their bill let's hope they ask why There's joy in that, isn't there? This isn't, oh gosh, ministry is such a drag and it's so much. That would be, I'd get a kick out of that. That'd be fun. Sign me up for that. I don't want to fold bulletins. Are are you with me? Do, do Do you understand what? Now we'll still fold the bulletins. And and if we don't continue to do home teams, if some of these people get turned onto the Lord, where are they going to find spiritual family to help them remain in Christ? We still do all that we do with all the passion that we've ever done it, but but do we really do that that often? I mean, that would be even kind of awkward and strange for me as your pastor. Am I really ready to? And I started to want Lord, who who could really help us learn how to do that with that kind of heart? And God brought to mind somebody who's walked around the world. With a cross on his back. And every place he goes, his whole life is about just starting conversations that matter about Christ. And I talked to Keith Wheeler. I took him to lunch. And he said, if your church is willing to do that, I'll show up to train them. I'll go with them. We'll make a difference for Christ. I'm all in. And then I thought, oh my gosh, this might really happen. <laughs> what if? What if? Well, what if our our, our abiding had a new season of fruitfulness, a new season of harvest? If we abide in Christ and if we go into the harvest, what might God do? But folks, it starts with abiding. And then it becomes a, a fruitfulness wherever God has planted us. But then finally it becomes a pruning. Did you notice? How is it that God makes those who are already fruitful more fruitful? He prunes them. He prunes them. Those things that suck life away from us, perhaps we'll have to have cut away and, and set aside and so we can renew that which really counts. That's what this Wesley Covenant service, which we're about to walk through, does folks, that's what happened for Desmond Doss. Has any of you seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? Now, you, you, you would wonder why your pastor would suggest that anyone see such a horrifically violent movie. But God shines his brightest light in the darkest places. Desmond Doss was a World War II medic, but he was a conscientious conscientious objector. He was a Seventh Day Adventist, and he, through experiences in his life, I won't give away the whole movie, but experiences in his life had had really pushed him away from guns. So he wanted to go and serve his country, and 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 be there for for those who were in in that effort. But he. Would keep his conviction never to touch a gun. He would go not to take life, but to be a combat medic on the field with the other guys in the fray. But he would be there to save lives, not to take lives. There's a pivotal scene. I won't tell you the whole movie, but there's a pivotal scene where he's finally in, in that arena and he's just lived out his first experience on the top of Hacksaw Ridge as they try to take that ground away from the enemy. And they've been pushed back. They've been decimated. Most of his company has been killed and they get to the to the edge of that plateau which defines Hacksaw Ridge from, from the valley be- below and men are piling over the top for the sake of saving their own lives and, and, and getting to the bottom to safety. And in that place... Uh, Desmond Doss falls to his knees, a dead comrade in his arms. Bullets are flying. The U.S. Navy is, is showering that, that plateau with, with bombs. It's full of bombs that are exploding and fire. And he's oblivious to it all. He's just lost one of his best friends And he turns to his shepherd. And in that fray, he says, Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, what would you have me do? And he listens for an answer, and he he can't hear it. He says, Lord, I can't hear you. Lord, I can't hear you. What would you have me do? And then from the battlefield... Those that have been left behind, you hear a faint, medic, medic. And like a sheepdog that's just understood the mind of his master, he goes back and he finds another one that's suffering and would have died, but he brings him over to the edge of Hacksaw Ridge and he fashions a rope and he lowers him down so that others can can work on him and save his life. And. He goes back again and back again. He goes back 72 times. And every time after he lowers another one down to save his life, he has one prayer on his heart. Lord, help me save one more. Lord, help me save one more. Lord, help me save one more. And again and again, he goes back to the fray. Why? Why? Because he follows someone who had a Christ cross styled life one who came into this world this dead and dying spiritual place and he bled for us that we might be saved how can we serve a god like that and not join him in saving those for whom he bled Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Christian life is redeemed from sin and consecrated to God. Through baptism, we have entered this life and have been admitted into the new covenant of which Jesus Christ is the mediator. He sealed it with his own blood that it might last forever. On the one side, God promises to give us new life in Christ, the source and the perfecter of our faith. On the other side, we are pledged to live no more for ourselves but for Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. From time to time, we renew our covenant with God, especially when we gather at the Lord's table. Today, however, we meet as the congregations before us have met on New Year's Day to renew the covenant that binds us to God. Let us make this covenant of God our own. Commit yourselves to Christ as his servants. Give yourselves to him that you may belong to him. Christ has many services to be done. Some are more easy and honorable. Others are more difficult and disgraceful. Some are suitable to our inclinations and interests. And others are contrary to both. And some... We may please Christ and please ourselves, but then there are other works where we cannot please Christ except by denying ourselves. It is necessary, therefore, that we consider what it means to be a servant of Christ. Let us, therefore, go to Christ and pray. Would you join me? Let me be your servant under your command. I will no longer be my own. I will give up myself to your will in all things. Be satisfied that Christ shall give you your place and work. Lord, make me what you will. I put myself fully into your hands. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely... And with a willing heart, give it all to your pleasure and disposal. Christ will be the Savior of none but his servants. He is the source of all salvation to those who obey Christ, uh, to those who obey. Christ will have no servants except by consent. Christ is worthy of full consent to all that he requires. Christ will be the Lord in all, or not our Lord at all. For the sake of time, let's skip ahead to the covenant prayer. In the covenant prayer, usually at that time, people would actually bow on their knees as they read this prayer with one another. And if if you can do so, feel free to do that now. Uh, If not, if you just bow in your heart, would you join me there with the covenant prayer? Oh, righteous God, for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. See me as I fall down before you. Forgive my unfaithfulness in not having done your will. For you have promised mercy to me if I turn to you with my whole heart. God requires that you shall put away your idols. I hear from the bottom of my heart renounce them all, covenanting with you that no known sin shall be allowed in my life. Against your will, I have turned my love towards the world. In your power, I will watch all temptations that will lead me away from you. For my own righteousness is riddled with sin, unable to stand before you. Through Christ, God is offered to be your God again, if you would let him. Before all heaven and earth, I here acknowledge you as my Lord and God, I take you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for my portion and vow to give up myself, body and soul, as your servant to serve you in holiness and righteousness all the days of my life. God has given the Lord Jesus Christ as the only way and means of coming to God. Jesus, I do here on bended knee accept Christ as the only new and living way. And sincerely join myself in a covenant with him. O blessed Jesus, I come to you, hungry, sinful, miserable, blind, and naked, unworthy even to wash the feet of your servants. I do here with all my power accept you as my Lord and Head. I renounce my own worthiness and vow that you are the Lord, my righteousness. I renounce my own wisdom. And take you for my only guide. I renown-